This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 31, The Ribbon Creek Incident. Hello, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virla, your bellicose host, and thanks for being here. As always, if you like this episode, make sure to let me know either on our various social media platforms or via email at contact at incrediblestoriespodcast.com. But let's get into it. Today, I'm going to talk about the Ribbon Creek Incident which was a significant event for the United States Marine Corps occurring in 1956. And unless you were a Marine, you probably haven't heard of this event, which involved a boot camp disciplinary action that went horribly wrong. This event would have young men march through the swamps of South Carolina that ended in the death of six Marine recruits. Now, I'm familiar with this event because I served in the Marine Corps, but the Ribbon Creek incident had aspects that I was unaware of myself. The ramifications from this misfortune led to serious changes in how Marines train their recruits, but also it threatened the very survival of the Marine Corps as an independent branch of service. Here's what I know. Founded in 1775 in a tavern no less, the Marine Corps has a long and rich history. It falls under the Department of the Navy, which has the Navy and the Marines. And while the Navy is responsible for maritime supremacy, the Marines are tasked as an amphibious assault force capable of annihilating enemies with their badassery. Probably best known for the island hopping campaigns during World War II, you most likely know the iconic flag raising picture from Iwo Jima. But following the end of World War II in 1945, there was talk in DC about disbanding the Marines, especially because of all the atomic weapon progress that had been made. President Truman at the time thought conventional armies were kind of moot. In fact, Truman proposed for a Marine Corps disbandment in a 1948 Defense Recognition Bill. However, the Marine Corps survived this due to letter-writing campaigns and influential Marine veterans getting involved. But the cuts to the military and particularly the Navy kept coming anyways. Truman hated him some Marines. I mean, seriously, look up some of the quotes he had. Probably because he was an army man and was totes jealous. There's a long history of inter-service rivalry between the Army and Marines. Now, when Eisenhower became president in 1953, he also disliked the Marines. Of course, being an Army general and all. And the Army didn't like the Marines kind of encroaching on some of what their mission was to do. Also add to that, the Korean War had ended in 1953, so the U.S. was at peace, so large militaries were being seriously looked at. I'm getting a bit away from the story, but I tell you all this to set the tone that the Marine Corps was operating under during this time frame. Now let's go to where Marines train recruits, and that of course being Paris Island, South Carolina. They also train recruits in San Diego, but this story takes place in Paris Island, South Carolina. And ah, I remember it well. Marine Corps Boot Camp. The yellow footprints, the salty sea air, sand fleas, and the dirty, dirty dirt.
Sit up straight and look at me. Oh, snap. Here we My go. My name is Staff Sergeant Guerrero, and I am your senior drill instructor. Hi. How's it going? I'm assisting in my duties by drill instructor Sergeant Cardi. Hey. Drill instructor Sergeant Singleton. Hello. And drill instructor Sergeant Etterberry. <laughs> Sergeant Etterberry. Our mission is to train each one of you to become a United States Marine. Discipline. Discipline D. Hey, is discipline D I S C or D S? Never mind. You develop discipline and spirit. Sweet, I got those already. We will get every effort to train you, even after some of you have given up on yourselves. Losers. Physical or verbal abuse by any marine or recruit will not be tolerated. Oh, my bad. I cross yours and I will be with you every day. Everywhere you go! Everywhere? Nah, that seems excessive. Don't Even the bathroom? From you, we demand the following! You must give 100% of yourself at all times. Anyone else getting a Fifty Shades of Grey feeling? You will not physically abuse or verbally threaten another Marine or recruit. Be completely honest in everything that you do. Completely honest? Come on, do you tell your wife that dress makes her butt look big when she asks? You must work hard! Just right there, your body, your spirit! And your mind. Bro, do you lift? Be proud of yourself in the uniform you wear. Above all else, never quit or give up. For we offer you the challenge of recruit training and the opportunity to earn the title United States Marine. Uh, when do we fight the lava beast? I was told there was a lava beast. Ah, uh, good times, good times. But in 1956, drill instructors were pretty much all-powerful, allowed to dish out lessons in the form of discipline with little to no oversight. Staff Sergeant Matthew McKeon was one such drill instructor, tasked to make capable killers out of soft lumps of civilian dough. He was a seasoned war veteran, having served in the Navy during World War II on the USS Essex, and then he became a civilian. But in 1948, after a brief time out, he said, You know what? I like the military. I'm going back in. But this time, I'm joining the roughest, toughest, rootinest, shootinest branch of the service. And of course, that was the Marine Corps. And he went on to serve in the Korean War. Now after that, he became a drill instructor. McKeon went through a five-week drill instructor course, after which he was assigned to Platoon 71, Able Company, 3rd Recruit Training Battalion. He was second in charge in his group of drill instructors, and on the day of the Ribbon Creek incident, April 8th, he was the DI on duty. And this day, April 8th, was a Sunday. And where do Marines go on Sunday? Well, in 1956, they went to church. And church for the Marines of this time was the rifle range. Here, they practiced their pew-pewing for an upcoming qualification shoot. But McKeon noticed some of the recruits were being nasty turd bags. And they were nasty turd bags because they were lounging in the grass outside when they were supposed to be cleaning their rifles. Well, this will not do in the Marines. So, he called for what is known as a field day. For those of you not privileged to know what a field day is, let me tell you. It's not that fun game day from elementary school. A field day is a deep, deep cleaning of the barracks. Josh, how deep is the cleaning? So deep it'll put your ass to sleep. Seriously, it'll wear you out. It's essentially a workout combined with extensive cleaning. 
While this was going on, McKeon was probably like, these mother I need a drink. So he, along with a junior drill instructor and the range instructor, had themselves a little drink. Not sure what they drank, but I'm sure it was strong. He then went on to pick up the much anticipated mail, which was for the recruits, then went to take a nap to sleep off some chronic leg pain he had, probably as a result from the wars he was in. But he woke up later for his next duty, which was to bring the recruits to chow, or dinner as most people would say. Now, I'm not certain what chow hall etiquette was in 1956, but this is how it worked when I was in. Your platoon gets in a long line, the first person in your platoon gets his food and sits down. Everyone else does so accordingly and sits down in their assigned section. You sat down with your legs together with one hand on your lap and the other on your eating utensil, eyes forward and no talking. Once the first person who sat down was done eating, everyone was done eating. Clean up your trays and go outside. Aye, sir. Unfair, I know. You learn to eat fast here. Apparently, the recruits in McKeon's platoon did whatever they wanted. After explicitly being told no one goes up for seconds, some recruits went up for seconds. Well, as you can imagine, this would send a DI into a disciplinary rage. So McKeon said, okay, clearly you guys need a little straightening up, and took his platoon for a nice little marsh march between 2000 and 2045, or 8 to 8.45 p.m. for civilians. Now, the 74 recruits in his command were only about six weeks into their Marine Corps training, but they were about to get a dose of some behavioral correction education, and they headed for Ribbon Creek. Now, a little about Paris Island. It's a small island on the coast of South Carolina, flanked by the Beaufort River and the Broad River. It is crisscrossed with creeks, and as you can imagine, a lot of water moves during the tides. You can see anywhere from 9 or so feet above the standard datum to under a foot below the datum. Basically, it's a marshy, muddy island that alligators enjoy. There is a saying in the area that during low tide, the land area doubles. So, marsh marches were used in the Marine Corps occasionally, and in fact, McKeon had done one when he was a recruit. However, he had never been in Ribbon Creek before, but eh, a creek's a creek, right? So he marched his platoon into the creek. They drudged through mud, muck, and water. They were in about waist-deep water, which concerned some of the recruits who were unable to swim. About a dozen of them, in fact, could not swim. Side note, you'd be surprised how many people can't swim during boot camp. And you'd think going into an amphibious branch of the military, they'd learn that beforehand, but they sure learn it while they're in. Anyways, the creek was experiencing what is known as an ebb tide, which is the time between a high and low tide when the water is flowing away from shore. Some of the recruits were still into goofing off and began splashing around yelling gator. Haha! <laughs> I'm sure McKinnon said something like, Fine, we'll just keep marching since you have so much energy. But more drill instructorly. They eventually started to head back to the barracks, but soon the platoon was stricken with alarm and confusion as several recruits fell into a depression known as a trout hole, which was well over their heads. Now remember, it's nighttime by this point. Sunset at Paris Island on April 8th is around 7.50 p.m. 
And you can imagine the panic as the recruits suddenly disappeared under the water one by one. There was flailing about desperately as the recruits tried to grab a hold of something to save themselves. Combine the strength of the outgoing tide and slippery mud, and you see it would be hard to keep your footing and your wits. So, in the chaos, McKeon told everyone to get out of the water. Recruits helped each other out of the water, and McKeon managed to pull out one of the drowning recruits himself. Well, with the night upon them, and the general disarray of the platoon, six recruits ended up drowning in Ribbon Creek. As you can imagine, this created quite a media firestorm. Sobriety tests initially showed McKeon was under the influence. Reporters created a big issue around the horrible training methods of the Marine Corps and portrayed McKeon as a drunken monster. I mean, they really came at this guy. You know how the media does. Adding to the pile-on, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Randolph Pate, told the press that McKeon would be punished to the fullest extent of the law before trial even happened. So essentially he was saying he was guilty. Well, remember, the Marine Corps was under the microscope from government officials wanting to cut the military's budget, and especially the Marines' budget. This incident made the Marines look like loose cannons that were out of control. But the Commandant's visit and insistence on McKeon being punished calmed things down in DC for a little bit anyways. But it almost gave a green light to the public to crucify McKeon. By Tuesday, all of the six bodies had been recovered, and the ages of the recruits were between 17 and 20. A big tragedy, of course. So, since McKeon was in the military, and the deaths occurred on a military base while training, he would come up for a court-martial. And a court-martial is a judicial court system just for trying members of the military who have violated something in the Uniform Code of Military Justice, or UCMJ. McKeon was charged with manslaughter, oppression of troops, negligent homicide, and drinking on duty. His trial was set to begin on July 17, 1956. So, during the trial though, the medical examiner reversed the initial findings of his sobriety test, stating that it hadn't been properly given. But at this point, it was hard to put the genie back in the bottle, and the first results pretty much stuck with McKeon as the media continued to push the narrative of him being, well, an inebriated devil. Luckily, McKeon got a very good New York lawyer named Emil Zola Berman, who took on the case pro bono. Interestingly, Berman was also the same lawyer who, in 1969, defended Robert F. Kennedy's assassin Sirhan Sirhan. Now, Berman took the case because he thought McKeon was being made a scapegoat and probably had a very high opinion of the Marine Corps himself. Berman was a military veteran, having served during World War II in the 10th Air Force, and he retired a lieutenant colonel. But overall, the Marines did have a high approval rating with the general public. Berman did a great job turning the tide on how the public thought of McKinnon, though. Berman portrayed McKinnon as a family man who just had a lapse in judgment. He highlighted McKeon's excellent service records, noting he was a war veteran, and pointed out that marsh marches were around before McKeon and that McKeon himself had been on a marsh march when he was a recruit. 
Also, and this was a big point, there was no direct order against marching in Ribbon Creek. By now, there was a pretty even split of people who either supported McKeon or hated him. Now, I suppose there was a certain weight around this particular trial as it felt not just a trial for McKeon, but it came to represent the struggle of the Marine Corps' battle to exist. As I mentioned earlier, so much scrutiny was on the Marine leadership as Congress and those in the White House looked to justify making more and more military cuts. Berman, an excellent defense attorney, was even able to get the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Pate, to give a surprising testimony. General Pate, who before the trial began, basically said McKeon was guilty and needed to be punished to the fullest. But during the trial, he had a reverse in sentiment and said McKeon just had some bad judgment and should have minimal punishment. On the stand, he suggested McKeon just be demoted one rank for drinking and be removed from drill instructor duties. Now the biggest surprise of the trial was that Berman managed to get retired Lieutenant General Lewis Puller, aka Chesty Puller, to testify. For some perspective on what this means, let me tell you a little bit about Chesty Puller, who could justifiably be his own incredible story. You see, Chesty Puller was basically the mariniest marine who ever marined. He is the most decorated marine in history having five Navy Crosses, and a Navy Cross is the second highest award in the military, second only to the Medal of Honor. These awards were given for extraordinary heroism. Yeah, and he had five of them, along with a buttload of other awards and medals. And even the Army awarded Chesty Puller a Distinguished Service Cross. That's why they called him Chesty, allegedly, because all the ribbons on his uniform took up his whole chest. He served for 37 years fighting in places like Haiti and Nicaragua and a bunch of other places for World War II and Korea. He served in both the enlisted and officer ranks, which endeared him to both, and had a bunch of disciplinary actions and eventually reached the rank of Lieutenant General, which is a three-star general. Basically, this guy was Superman, a legend amongst Marines, and here he was to testify on this lowly Marine's behalf. Chesty was on stand for about four hours, and two of those hours, he basically recounted his time of service and told awe-inspiring war stories to a captivated audience. His stories had all the salt and color you'd expect from a warrior of his stature. Well, after all that, Chesty said that the deaths of the six recruits was a deplorable accident, but that McKeon shouldn't be punished and echoed General Pate's sentiment that he regrets that this man was ever tried under a court-martial. Well, by August 4th, McKeon's trial, which had garnered national attention, had come to an end, and the verdict of the four charges he was brought up on were to be known. He was acquitted of the charges of manslaughter and oppression of troops, but found guilty of negligent homicide and drinking while on duty. He was ordered to pay a fine of $270, sentenced to nine months of hard labor, busted down to the rank of private, from staff sergeant to private, and given a bad conduct discharge. Now, considering what he could have gotten, this was kind of a victory. 
The Secretary of the Navy later would reduce his sentence to three months and kept his reduction to the rank of private, but with no discharge and no fine, so he was able to stay in the Marines. Eventually, he was able to reach the rank of corporal again, and in 1959, he was discharged for medical reasons, probably due from, you know, war injuries and stuff. McKeon went on to live in Massachusetts and became an inspector for the state, but was always haunted by the tragedy of Ribbon Creek. I mean, it really laid heavy on him that six men under his command had died and would be alive if it weren't for his judgment. He apparently was a pretty religious guy and prayed every day to be forgiven, and his remorse for these events were heavy, but he owned them. He died in 2003 at the age of 79, and he had five kids and eight grandkids. And that's the story of the Ribbon Creek Incident, and now you know what I know. But what happened to the Marine Corps? Well, obviously the Marines are still around, but as a result of the trial, the Corps began to implement some serious changes. Changes that would transform the Marines more or less into their modern form. And that all starts with how Marines train recruits. More emphasis was put on the physical training of recruits. Discipline is very by the book in terms of what you can and can't do. Drill instructors weren't as all-powerful as they had been, although they are still pretty tough and their creativity for disciplining errant recruits is legendary. DIs go through more training now, and instead of the five weeks, it is now an 11-week course. They are also more carefully selected, and are required to read about the Ribbon Creek incident, as well as have an in-depth class discussion and training on the incident itself. There's a lot more structure in the oversight of training recruits now as well. Brigadier generals now command the depots and answer directly to the commandant. Officers oversee the day-to-day -day of recruit training. Essentially, the entire structure of the recruit battalion was reformed as Recruit Training Regiment, which today oversees five battalions and the drill instructor school. The RTR implements standards from the Commandant of the Marine Corps to train, teach, and mentor recruits through basic training in either Marine Corps Recruit Depot Paris Island or Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego. After the Ribbon Creek incident, a new focus on drill instructor professionalism was emphasized and more attention was paid to leadership, persuasion, and the psychology that goes into training recruits. Arlie Army would be proud. And if you don't know who that is, he was the drill instructor from the movie Full Metal Jacket and a real-life Marine. If you haven't seen this movie, do yourself a favor and check it out. It gives you a great look at to what Marine Corps training and boot camp is like. But I'll link you a clip in the show notes to give you a taste. It's ironic that a march intended to bring discipline to Marine Corps recruits ended up bringing discipline to the Marine Corps instead. And because of those changes, an event that could have ended the Corps from public fear of brutal training methods ended up instead saving it by forcing it to modernize its techniques and approach. But now for something that doesn't need modifying, and that is the haiku. The Marines trained hard. One time, they didn't train smart. Now they train beast mode. 
And that's all the time this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email, haiku, or, or show suggestion at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes. Help us get seen by more people, please. And peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For an Incredible Stories podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Now for-